Welcome to episode 17 of This Naked Voice. My name is Joey, and I'm your host. In response to my initial Zen and the Art of Making a Living episode, a mentor of mine posed the question of what the difference was between a cultural critic and a culture creator. I responded with a follow-up podcast on the topic that I think did a pretty good job sorting out the key differences between the two. The biggest being that, while both recognize that something's not quite right with society, cultural creators accept responsibility for making the change they want to see happen, and then they take action to make it so. And at the time, I was posed another question by this mentor. This is it. A question for you, another one. What is leisure? Why is it important? Episodes 15 and 16 were interviews with Professor Eugene Matisov of the University of Delaware, and they were an attempt to start answering this question because he had written some books on the topic. Well, one book in particular. And at the core of Professor Matisov's hypothesis is the idea that leisure is the human condition of our existential needs to be met or fully realized. He believes that leisure allows people to transcend their nature, their given culture, their society, their psychology, their roles in society and the position, their necessities and their deficiency needs. Their deficiency needs meaning food, shelter, the basics on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Professor Matisab believes that leisure is important because it's through genuine leisure that people can meet their existential needs, such as their needs for self-actualization, self-fulfillment, self-realization, and self-transcendence. And part of Professor Matisov's hypothesis is that this can happen really only in a post-work society when we don't have to focus on fulfilling our deficiency needs, such as food and shelter, when we don't have to work three different jobs to just make rent, then we can actually have time to focus on our existential needs. So not focus on deficiency needs means we get to focus on our existential needs. So that's why leisure is important, because when we have time for leisure, then we get to fulfill our sense of self-actualization, self-realization, and self-transcendence. That's Professor Matisov's hypothesis. But I want to pose the question to you. What is leisure to you? And also, why is leisure important? Because here in this episode, I want to pose an additional hypothesis, an additional definition. For me, leisure is the time where one is free from both necessary activities and obligations. And right up front, I want to say that I believe leisure is important because I believe it's the necessary balance agent to a society that has overvalued power, ambition, success, achievement, constant growth, money and economic systems, as well as a need for hyper-control and busyness. And it's not that some of those things aren't useful or maybe even necessary sometimes. But my argument is that our society is out of balance and that leisure is important because it allows us to tip the scales in a way where we have a healthy relationship with both the doing and the being aspects of life. If you want to win nerd points on your next social outing, nerd alert! whether it's with a group of friends or on your next date, be sure to mention Carl Jung and the collective unconscious. Get those nerds! 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 Why? Well, 
maybe you're really yearning for nerd points. I'm not sure why you would be, but I'm bringing up Carl Jung here because he's an important figure in what we're about to talk about. Carl Jung was a bit of a badass. He gave us so many amazing ways of understanding our existence and our experience as humans. Some of the concepts he gave us are the concept of persona, which is essentially the mask that we wear in the world to adapt to different situations. We all wear masks, metaphorically speaking. Who are you here with your friends? Who are you with your family? Who are you with strangers? The persona. The collective unconscious we talked about already briefly. It's the aspect of unconsciousness experienced by all people in all cultures. And this concept was supported by findings such as Joseph Campbell's work uncovering the hero's journey, the storyline arc that exists in stories from different cultures across the world from across time. Jung also gave us the concept of an archetype, which is a universal pattern of being, a mental image or a theme. So when someone mentions a king, that's an archetype. You might have an understanding of the qualities that a king embodies, or a warrior, or a mother. And I'm trying not to nerd out too much in the psychology here because we could do whole episodes on just archetypes. But a few more things here. The concept of shadow. Shadow is the unconscious parts of myself, the parts of myself that I've repressed, that I've denied, that I've hidden away. And Jung said this is important to understand because our behaviors are not driven because of what we're consciously aware of all the time. The unconscious parts of ourselves also drive our behavior. So if I can become aware of what I'm unconscious of, to make the unconscious conscious, I can then make changes in my life. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. And lastly, what I want to bring up here is the concept of anima and animus, which is the contrasexual aspect of a person's psyche. What? What the hell does that mean? Essentially, in a woman's psyche, it's her inner masculine. In a man's psyche, it's his inner feminine. So with that last concept, no matter how a person identifies, Jung posits that we all have masculine and feminine aspects of ourselves. So why bring this up? Well, broadly, we're speaking about developing a whole new image of work and with it, life itself. And to do that, we have to have a, a vision of what work is, what it's for, in order to create a new life. And Jung believed that life itself has masculine and feminine aspects to it, how we show up in the world as humans. He said that the masculine way of being in the world is concerned with doing. Do it! Just do it! And the feminine way of existing in the world is concerned with being. Right? No sound effect for that. So, take another scoop. The masculine aspect of the self is concerned with controlling the external world through doing. And technology is the main means of achieving this control. And we can see that throughout our history as humans. Notice a problem? Find the solution. Do something to fix it. Can't grow enough food. Hmm, what do we do? Let's invent the plow. It's too far to travel from here to there. Hmm, let's invent roads. And then carriages. And eventually cars and airplanes. It's too hot outside in the summer. Hmm, how about air conditioning? How about walking being too boring? Let's invent shoes with wheels in the bottom. All these ways of existing in the world are concerned with seeing a problem and finding a solution through doing. 
Contrast that with the feminine way of existing in the world. The feminine values being. The feminine is concerned with enlarging the individual's experience of the world. Simply experiencing it. It's what Joseph Campbell called the rapture of being alive. I want to invite you for this moment to just try and remember a time when you were lost in an experience. So absorbed in whatever it was you were feeling, whether it was a hug with someone you loved, the look in the child's eyes, maybe it was a beautiful sunset, maybe it was a concert that was just lighting you up. In those moments, you weren't necessarily doing anything, but you were absorbed in the rapture of being alive, of having the experience of being human. Yeah, maybe you were dancing, maybe you were looking at someone else, maybe you were hugging, but you weren't really doing anything, you were experiencing that moment. That's the feminine experience there. And neither one of these is right or wrong or good or bad, they are just different ways of experiencing the world. And Jung says that the key to psychological maturity here is balance between the two. The balanced individual passes between these two worlds of masculine and feminine, of doing and being. Do, be, do, be, do. Do, de, do, be, do. Right now, modern man at the moment is out of balance. He's become a prisoner of time and has lost touch with his sense of being. As I was doing research for this podcast, I found a clip from Sadhguru on striking a balance between masculine and feminine energies, and it really encapsulates the summary of this podcast pretty well. So I want to play it for you here. Here's Sadhguru. When you were a caveman, the man took care of the survival process, woman took care of cooking, nurturing, creating a, an ambience, a better ambience for life. So man fuels the survival process, the woman fuels that it makes it worthwhile to live. So these are two aspects fulfilled by masculine and feminine. So from here on when I say masculine and feminine, I want you to disengage that from being male and female. Now we are shifting this thing to a different level in the society. I'm not uh, saying it's right or wrong, we need to understand it's shifting in the sense. It's not just about women seeking a career. What is happening is, the masculine ideals are becoming the most important ideals. So a systematic obliteration of the feminine has happened. Today, because the world is driven by the economic engine, when you say economy is the only important thing on the planet, that means survival process is being put into a divine position. Once economic engine is what is driving the world, then masculine is bound to be dominant. And uh, in this system, women will suffer. I think lot of women are going through this and some of them are trying to find a balance between the two. It is not because they're pursuing a career this is happening, it is because survival process has become the highest ideal, which is a wrong way to structure a society. Masculine is power, is a wrong perception. Masculine is the right thing, is a wrong perception. That wrong perception has seeped into the society. Today, there is very little role for the feminine, even if a woman comes out, she has to act like a man, then only she is successful. 
If she acts like a woman, it's considered weak. Feminine is not weak, it's just fulfilling a different aspect of life. Without the ambience of the feminine, masculine will feel meaningless. We say Shiva is a Shava without Shakti. That means Shiva, the highest lord, will become a corpse if Shakti doesn't dance around him. So that's a beautiful way of saying it. So unless our values change, that our minds grow beyond survival process, if spirituality became the most significant part of a society, you would see feminine would be more dominant than the masculine. Unless the masculine and feminine play equal proportions on the planet, you will not see a beautiful life happening. He has a quote in there I really enjoyed. He says, man fuels the survival process, but woman makes it feel like it's worthwhile to live. And obviously he's using man and woman in place of masculine and feminine, but I feel like that was a really nice summary of what we're getting at here. We can work, 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 yet how often do we truly stop and question what are we working for? And whether how we are spending our days is allowing us to experience life in a meaningful way. So let's look at culture and how it is also out of balance. Evidence of how our culture is out of balance can be seen almost everywhere. Where the good is not simply good because it's good. Good is what's expensive. The best doctor or the best pair of sunglasses isn't necessarily good based on its merit alone. It's good because they're expensive. Practical decisions are the ones that make the largest short-term profit, right? So practical things have become what's commercial, commercially viable. Science itself is no longer the pursuit of knowledge, but it's the pursuit of technical solutions. So science has become equated with technology. Can you imagine an adult in conversation with a curious child exploring the world, wanting to be an inventor or a scientist or an artist when they grow up? What do you think the likely tale will be, the story or advice that that adult will spin for that child? Because in my mind, that adult will likely say, hmm, that's lovely, but how will you make money from that? How will you support yourself? And there's nothing entirely wrong about that question, but that seems to be the main and only question that they ask. That's an example of approaching life from the masculine. And unfortunately, sometimes it's pigeonholed into trying to figure out how is this going to be practical or commercially viable. And we can see even our art has become commercialized. We celebrate art that goes for the highest value. Our songs, they're produced in hit factories where successful songwriters keep turning out hit after hit after hit. I believe that art at its best, at its truest, reveals something about our deep inner experience. And for a lot of our popular art, it's essentially mass-produced. Is it revealing something of the deep inner experience of being human? In the Western world, a lot of religions have seen a steep decline in attendance, especially from a younger generation. And the question is why? One might argue that even religions have become more of a social club and they've lost sight of actually giving people the experience of having that deep spiritual revelation. And maybe that's why, to a large degree, a younger generation has sought for it and actually found it elsewhere, whether through concert experiences, 
or psychedelics, or maybe even just through hiking some incredible peaks and being in nature for extended periods of time. So why talk about how life is out of balance? Well, these feminine values of being, that's the wellspring of life. It's what allows us to feel alive and to experience the fullness of what we're actually engaged with in our daily lives. Without them, life can feel empty and often meaningless. We become slaves to habit and routine and time and technology. And the ironic part is the more we get enslaved by time and technology, the more we try to control our time through our technology. That sounds bad when you say it like that. But both these ways of living are necessary. We need the masculine to actually get shit done. Do it! The masculine value structure has given us many things that we probably take for granted now and have made our lives very comfortable. The issue is that we're out of balance. The women's movement for a long time has provided actually very little challenge to this overly masculine value structure. One could say it became more concerned with finding a place for women in this masculine value structure rather than actually challenging the assumptions upon which it's based. So no question, women have more rights than ever now. They fought hard for it and they're becoming more equal in the eyes of the law, and though they're still granted to be covered in reality, if anything, they now find themselves subject to the same pressures and stresses that have plagued men in this overly masculine value structure, that of power, ambition, and control. And we have to ask ourselves, is this what we really want for both men and women to be subject to the pressures of this masculine value structure? Is that healthy for anyone? What would it actually take to challenge these masculine values and bring in the feminine values of being into the way our culture operates so that we're actually more in balance and connected to our experience of the world. To understand how we got here, how the masculine values came to dominate, let's look at history a little bit. In the West, in an effort to understand the world and control it, an idea emerged that in order to understand a complex anything, the best way to do so is to break it down into smaller and smaller parts. This is called reductionism. In addition to reductionism, there was a flourishing of the idea of empiricism. Empiricism is a theory that states that knowledge can only be derived from sensory experiences. So in other words, if it can't be seen, heard, smelled, tasted, or touched, and measured in some form, then we simply can't know it to be true. Now, obviously, there is a reason that these two forms of understanding the world caught on. It's because they yielded really good results for a long time. So many of the advancements in medicine and technology and science have come because of empiricism and reductionism being two of the main approaches with which we tried to understand the world. The catch was, as empiricism and reductionism became all the rage, particularly in science, modern man began rejecting all that he couldn't understand through reason or experiment. So what's the problem with that? Well, the great mystery of life, all of a sudden, was not there for us to behold and wonder, but it was meant to be tested and poked and prodded. And when something came up, that didn't quite fit into our measuring boxes or our concepts of understanding, it was often deemed as 
meaningless yeah. as opposed to mysterious. We became less interested in being caught up in the rapture of the experience of the unknown and the mysterious because we couldn't break it down. We couldn't understand it. We became obsessed with rationality. Rationality spelled ratio Ratio is a part, a portion. So when we're obsessed with rationality, ratio-nality, ratio-nality, we divide life into parts. And with this endless fragmentation, we miss the experience of the whole of life. All of a sudden, I hope you're starting to see what's happening here. Life is more than the sum of its parts. It's both the sum and the whole and the parts, and everything else that we can't even think to see or to wonder about. When we become so obsessed with the figuring it out, with the breaking it down, with the understanding, with the doing, we can't get lost in the rapture of being alive with just being in the world. We lose sight of the mystery. To me, that's one of the biggest reasons I believe leisure is so important, because when I allow myself time for leisure, I'm honoring or giving importance to the undefinable and indescribable aspects of life, that mystery. I'm nurturing myself by not needing to have any answers, but by allowing myself to feel into and respond from my intuition. I'm allowing myself to simply be and feel and experience and maybe even be amazed at the mystery of life without trying to figure it out. If we view life and this existence as starting from the ratio, then two things happen. One, we seek to acquire more and more materially in order to build up to wholeness because we ourselves feel fragmented and the other thing that happens is we see life as an endless series of problems to be solved yet each time you solve one problem another one pops up how could one see a world such as this as anything other than a jumbled mess from that perspective and if it's a jumbled mess how could I, as a human, not want to do my best to improve upon it and put it in order and do, do, do to bring some sort of sanity and order to the chaos of life around me? And if I see the world I live in as chaotic, how will I not mostly seek safety and security in a chaotic world to gain more, to defend against what I fear in the mess? It's no wonder that these masculine values have dominated for so long. They serve a noble purpose, to attempt to understand the unfamiliar and unknown, and to create order and safety in that same unknown. But maybe it's that point of view that needs to be reassessed. If I can allow myself to engage with leisure in my life, and reacquaint myself consistently with the rapture of being alive, maybe I wouldn't see this world as a chaotic jumble of parts needing that order and needing protecting from. But if you view life as starting from the whole, then all of a sudden, life is not an endless series of problems to be solved. 
it's a mystery to be revealed. And if we limit our knowledge to that which can be measured and quantified, we miss not only the wonder of the mystery of life, but we miss the possibility of its revelation. And if you've ever glimpsed a piece of life's great mystery, whether it be in the indescribable beauty of a sunset, or the wonder of how nature cooperates on the smallest and grandest scales, or in that magical moment of holding a newly born babe, and unexpectedly being overwhelmed with love, humility, maybe as tears flow down your face, you know that the more of the mystery that we glimpse, the more we're reminded of just how incomprehensible it is. And it's in that moment of facing life's vastness that I want to remind you to not be tempted to fixate on the separateness of all things that make it up, but remember that it and you are all part of the whole, revealing itself to you in that very moment. You are not separate from it, and it is not separate from you. Can you allow yourself to just be in this moment and to witness yourself as part of this great mystery and as the mystery itself? Thanks for joining for this episode of This Naked Voice. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a five-star review. And you know what? Share it with your friends. I'd love that. If you have any thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns, please write to me at info at thisnakedvoice.com. You can follow me on Instagram and occasionally even on TikTok at thisnakedvoice. I hope you take some intentional time for yourself for leisure this week. And I hope you get to reconnect with the rapture of being alive. Be good to yourself. <laughs>